0: For over 30 years, today's guest has been challenging her clients to change old mindsets in order to meet the new challenges they are facing. She asks leaders thought-provoking questions, pushing them to find new ways to do old things, because she believes that if you ask great questions, you will get great answers. She is a change expert who has worked with senior leadership and middle management from a wide variety of industries, including financial institutions, healthcare, higher ed, and nonprofit. Her clients appreciate her ability to blend sound theory with a practical approach to complex issues, and they leave ready to apply what they've learned. As the author of or contributor to more than 15 books, she teaches and writes about the dynamics of change, delivering effective feedback, dealing with conflict, and building high-performance teams. Her career began as a sales representative at Blue Cross Blue Shield, Wisconsin. Just eight years later, she left the safety of an office job To become a professional speaker. She has certainly made her mark in this profession, becoming a certified speaking professional in 1993, the highest earned designation for the National Speakers Association. She also served on the board of NSA for many years, including as president in 2000 2001, and most impressively received the prestigious Cavett Award in 2014, an award named for the founder of the National Speakers Association and given to a member. Who exemplifies his giving spirit please join me in welcoming chris clark epstein
1: robbie thank you so much what a lovely welcome and introduction
0: oh thank you and thank you for joining me you're you're in your office in Wausau, wisconsin and i'm gonna just dive right in i know that my audience will want to hear more about your day-to-day and sort of a little bit more about you but since this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks will you tell me what does leadership mean to you And when did you realize you had the skills to lead?
1: So if you will indulge me, I'm going to ask, flip your questions and answer the second one first. Sure. Because this is one of those moments of reflection that it's a joy to be able to share with other people. Um, It also involves talking a little bit around my age. So, we'll let people get paper and pencil if they want to do the math. (laughs) Um, Because when when I knew you were going to ask me this question, I had to think back to when I was 12 years old in 1961. So, that is your mathematical clue. So, everybody can figure out how old I am right now. Uh, So that was a long time ago in 1961. And in 1961, I was a Girl Scout. And I had been a Girl Scout for quite a few years. At this point, I was getting into um, the more serious level of scouting, where we were divided into patrols. I, I was a member of Troop 449 in Mount Prospect, Illinois, and I was a member of the Cardinal Patrol. And if you could see my badge sash, it had a badge that had a picture of the Cardinal. And each patrol voted, chose a leader, and my patrol chose me. And the leaders of the patrols were invited to meet with the adult leader of our troop. And she gathered us into a room, and we sat in a circle. And she said, so what do you girls want to do this year? And there was dead silence <laughs> Beca- because up to this point in Girl Scouting, we would come to our weekly meetings and the adult leader would tell us what we were going to do for that meeting. So we all sat with very blank stares until she explained we were now, since we were in patrols, we needed to start thinking about what kind of projects we wanted to do, what kind of badges did we want to work on, and that we had been elected as the leaders of our patrols. So it was our job to put our heads together and come up with activities for the year. And I just remember being dumbfounded that here was a grown-up who was putting us and me in charge of our destiny. So, that was my first notion of number one, that leadership, what leadership was, and number two, that I could be a leader, and number three, that there was the recognition by the all-powerful grown-up in my life when it came to Girl Scouting that i was competent to be a leader and and you know thinking back of that uh, minor event when i was 12 years old it was absolutely transformational about how i thought about myself how i thought about leadership and and probably set me on a quest that of figuring this whole thing out about what leadership is and what my role is as a leader that I've been journeying on, journeying on, that's a hard word to say, since 1961.
0: This is such an amazing origin story. I love that you took us way back. I'm sure many listeners, and myself included, have had that moment early on in childhood where either we sought an opportunity like that or one was given to us. But then you realize you now have to do something that it's It's, not just a title that there's, you're actually asked to step into this role. And yes, at a young age, that can be at any age, actually, when you're given that responsibility, it can feel overwhelming. And I love that you grappled with that. And that led you on this path.
1: Yeah. And here, the other lesson that I think is so important, and I I just like to share with your listeners or with our listeners now um, is is that those moments in a child's life, I, I'm sure that if my leader back in 1961, who was somebody's mom in, in the troop, I, I'm sure if I could track her down and if she's still around and and say, do you remember when? She probably would have no memory of that. It, it was a trivial encounter um, in her life. It was transformational in mind. And I think it's really important for us to remember that leadership happens all the time in moments of encountering with our, our colleagues, our peers, strangers in a situation, and especially as with children. Oftentimes, an encounter with an adult by a child who, who doesn't, isn't a part of their life who is in effect a, a positive stranger in their life can have enormous effect.
0: Wow. That's, that's really wonderful. Where, where did you go next with that answer? It sounds like that there was a, a trajectory. I will just say that um, there's a piece of your bio that I, I hope that you will, will talk about a little bit, which is having myself stepped into this world of being an entrepreneur and running my own business after many years of working in a company with structure and with all the security and stability of having, you know, paycheck and healthcare. Yeah. yeah, And you you stepped out pretty quick. And um, so that, that wasn't by accident. It sounds like you were ready to do that because of a number of other factors that maybe stem from this very beginning of your journey.
1: Um, Yeah. And let me, let me trace that little path and, and I'll go back even a few years earlier, um, my, my brother, I have a younger brother who, uh, quite frankly, I have no idea why my parents thought they needed him because uh, I thought I was pretty much the be all and end all of, of uh, a child in a family, especially since not only was I an only child for almost seven years, but I was the only child in the extended family. So some of my earliest memories was of sitting in our living room on the floor with all of the adults around me, staring down, saying, in effect, do something cute, Chris. So <laughs> I, 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 I learned to be the center of attention very early in my life. And my mother tells the story that from her perspective, I gave my first paid speech at age six after my brother was born. When she caught me on the back porch, gathering all the neighborhood children collecting their nickels and promising them a narrated tour of my newborn brother, <laughs> I figured as long as he was around I um, might as well make something
0: you really you, you've <laughs> learned very early on to find material in life wherever you go
1: absolutely The entrepreneurial spirit was taking on very very early so um so I grew up with with a strong sense of self-confidence and, um, you know, worked in the corporate world. I had had some other jobs before that, but got into the corporate world and, uh, quite frankly, had a very bad boss who was not only, and, and I say this with some level of objectivity, was. Not, not a good leader, and also was not a very nice person. He had some, um, and and you have to realize again. This is a number of years ago. I was in a sales department, and we were women were the the vast minority in the sales department. He he was pretty misogynist and um, um, was not reluctant to express his views of other minorities in and out of the workplace. Mm. And so it was a situation that became untenable. And um, I, I had a friend in, in the same department, and she and I had gone to a seminar together. And by the time we rolled around to lunch, we had decided that we wanted to do what the seminar leader was doing. And in fact, had convinced ourselves that we could do it better Than the seminar leader, so she and I together um, came up with a business plan of what we would do if we no longer worked for Blue Cross, and um, started investigating and got involved a little bit with our local chapter of NSA, and you know had dreams of of doing this, and then as so often happens in life, and so often happens to um, prospective entrepreneurs. Um, Blue Cross decided that maybe I could find a way to make my living other than in their building. So mm. I got fired, mm-hmm. <laughs> actually. Um, they put it in the terms laid off uh, was, was the way it actually happened. So my friend and I had a plan. So we accelerated the plan. She continued to work at Blue Cross and I started really putting together materials to put together um, uh, things we could take to the marketplace, so we actually, I actually started the business with a partner, and that continued for the first three years, and then um, and, and she she was also uh, laid off, and so we worked together, um, and then she decided to go back to sales, and I stayed uh, on my own. So so it was a it was a progression not unlike most entrepreneurial progressions, a combination of dreams and um, self-confidence and stupidity and yeah, life the na- circumstances. The I feel
0: yeah, like na- yeah, naivete right, is so important yeah. in that.
1: It, was, it wasn't so much, how can I do... And, and the cool thing was doing it together in the very beginning. You know, when I would be scared, she would be confident. And when she mm-hmm. was scared, I'd be the confident one. So at the beginning, it was really helpful doing it with another person, not trying to do it all all alone.
0: Wow. Well, so I want to bring you back to the other part of that first mm-hmm. question. If What, what uh, would be your definition or how would you define leadership?
1: Okay, I, I think about leadership, not as a title, but as a Set of behaviors. So my definition of leadership is very broad. Um, it, it is not about position power in an organization or in a community um, or in um, an entity. It it is a personal uh, choice around a set of behaviors that says I'm I'm the kind of person who has a defined set of values um, that I can articulate and that I share. Um, I have a vision for the future of whatever endeavor it is that I'm a part of. Um, and, And because I engage in those and other behaviors on a regular basis, I am viewed as a leader by people around me.
0: What are other things that you find rewarding about the work that you're doing now? What's, what's some of those takeaways?
1: Um, well, that's a really good question. Um, I, I, am, I am energized when people have, as my Weight Watchers leader always calls it, the aha moment where you can see that there's this lovely meeting of what I can bring to the table based on my research and my experience and my concepts around things like leadership and change. And I I can bring that to the table. And there are people who are in a place that it strikes them in a way that they have that moment where they say, Oh, I can do that. Or I can use that tool. I can see how that fits. And it is in that moment of message sent and message received Mm. that is of extraordinary satisfaction to me.
0: I was just thinking how wonderful it is that you named that because so few people get that direct feedback that they're doing a job well, that that job well done, that satisfaction you You actually get to witness the lights turn on inside someone's brain and just like the aha moment happen and that confidence that comes with it. And a lot of us have to go out of our way to see the results of the work that we do. I know that when I was working in nonprofit doing fundraising, I had to make an effort to get to know people doing program work, working with the clients because our worlds felt very separate. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we need, to, we need to see those aha moments in our work in a, whatever way we can, because that sort of feeds you then, right? Like you you keep working at it and you keep learning and keep growing because, you know, you can offer that to someone else.
1: A- absolutely. It is. Um, I often use the metaphor of gardening, e- even though I want to be really clear at the outset that I am not a gardener. My <laughs> My mother was a gardener. I think it skips a generation. Um, I I have I just have empty pots in the garage that had at one time plants that I was able to kill. So um, so so knowing that what what I talk about in terms of the work that I I do as a uh, professional speaker and consultant and writer is I'm a seed planter. Um, my job is to understand the conditions surrounding the garden. Um, wh- what kind of soil, what kind of soil it has, how much rain it gets, how much sunshine it gets. And, and figuring that out says to me with those conditions, these are the kind of seeds that are likely to take root and flourish in that particular garden. And so my job is in anticipation of the work that I do. And if I'm doing a writing project, for example, who is likely to pick up this article and read this article or read, bought, take this book off the shelf and read it? Who, who is it that's going to be interested in this? And what, what are their conditions? And then I have to write it in such a way that it's the seed that has the most is, is most likely to flourish in those conditions. Same things same thing before a presentation or a training session. And then knowing that I'm the seed planter, then I leave because I'm not a gardener. I right. I need to make sure that I have given tools to the people the the in this case, my metaphor is going to run out pretty soon here. Uh, But so, so that they have the tools to be able to do things to keep the conditions right for those seeds to flourish. So that's why in my books, there are assignments. In my articles, it's here's the action that you're going to take. And in my presentations, at the end of every presentation, it's like, okay, this was fun, but what are you actually going to do with this? And how are you going to hold yourself accountable to do it? And by the way, the best way you can do that is let's partner your, you up with somebody and you can hold each other accountable. That's so, so
0: That's so important because I know going into speaking as a profession that the rate of people taking information home with them and acting on it is incredibly low, frustratingly it, low.
1: It's it's abysmal. In, in fact... Um, and this ties in with the change stuff that I do because what happens to most people is they try something new and it doesn't work perfectly. It's like, okay, I, I decide I decided over the weekend that I'm gonna I'm gonna really watch what I ate eat on on Monday and I have a really healthy breakfast on Monday morning and I have a pretty good lunch and then my husband came home from the grocery store with a bag of Oreo cookies. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, I had four Oreo cookies. And now it's like, well, the nuts, I'm going to stop because that didn't work. So what happens is most people will try something new and they're not very good at it. And then they quit instead of understanding that what really has to happen is I'm trying something new. I'm going to be bad at it. I'm going to keep trying anyway. And over time, I'll get better. And unless you have that mantra of persistence, uh, y- you might as well have not even gone to the seminar. Quite frankly.
0: Well, speaking of persistence, tell us a little bit about a challenge you face at, at your work and and how you overcame it.
1: Um, well, and it fits with what we're we're talking about. Um, ironically, especially in the the speaking business, although. A good part of our work that we do is in front of lots of people, literally hundreds and thousands of, of people. Um, speaking is a truly lonely business. Um, you know, you, generally speaking, you're traveling by yourself. You have these bursts of time when you're with lots of other people and then, and then you're done and you're either back in your hotel room or you're on a plane going to the next place. So, um, and, and when you get to your office and you're doing that work, um, many of us are solo practitioners. And um, so that's on one hand, that reality. And on the other hand is many of us who do this work are extroverted personalities. So the way we know how we think or feel about any given idea or topic is by sharing it with another person, which is okay, except it's generally speaking you in your office now maybe you have a responsive dog that you can talk to i have an or, 8
0: month old i bounce things off of
1: yes exactly and and i have had times in in my business where i have had other people that i I've, I've worked with in my office i've had staff and so then you have that but by and large it's it's solo and and it's easy to get off the track that you want to be on there's lots of bright shiny Objects out there, oh, yeah. so gee, I, I I should be doing this, but oh, you know, I could uh, podcasting that that would be cool. Maybe I should learn about podcasting. In fact, I'm looking at the bookshelves in my office, and on one of the bookshelves, I have six books about how to do a podcast, um, which was for a while a bright shiny object. <laughs> Because I thought, oh, yeah, that would be really good. And so I got the books and I read the books. I didn't actually ever produce a podcast, but it w- it was an idea for a while.
0: I think that you've nailed it. There, That is a profoundly difficult thing to not have the person who's keeping you accountable to your own goals. Because right. every year, I think, in your career, it's there's probably been more shiny objects than the year before. Because now there's all this new technology.
1: Absolutely. And new ways of
0: communicating ideas. And you wonder, do I have to do all of them? And you can't do all of them. Right. You definitely can't do all of them well. Um, I also think of that as um, it's the it's the shiny objects, and it's also like squirrel. You know. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's like hard to stay focused, and and also being a solo practitioner, we are having to sort of answer that for ourselves. And I also appreciate you naming being an extrovert because I am as well, and having that feedback is really important, which is
1: exactly part
0: of going to the. um, you and I met at the National Speakers Association annual conference, Influence 2016, and uh, what I I was looking forward to going there for my second year was meeting those colleagues to really uh, create those relationships and connect with people who are in those similar situations year round, so that I'm not just getting the once a year you know influx of ideas, but the accountability year round. and And it, it was great. I already made a few new connections that I've stayed in touch with for that.
1: Absolutely. So y- your original question was, what was the challenge? And then implied is, so what did you do about it? Um, so about uh, four years ago, um, I entered into an accountability relationship with a colleague through the National Speakers Association, Lenora Billings Harris. And um, she and I uh, had, had discovered, we've known each other for lots of years, but we discovered that we both had an attraction to a bright, shiny object um, webinars. We both wanted to figure out how to do webinars and decided that if we did it together, it it would be helpful to have a partner, not only in the learning, but then in the doing. And through that, have developed a Uh, We actually have a business relationship. We have a website together. We've been doing webinars now for a couple years together. And we have a shopping cart together. And we we actually have done some programming together. Uh, And and that's cool. But the most important part is she and I have a standing meeting at 8 o'clock on Friday morning. We get together over Skype. And it is to say... Okay. Last week, you said you were going to. Here's the list of things. Did you do those things? Right. And it is amazing how much you can get done on Thursday night (laughs) in in anticipation of the Friday morning call. Because um, it, it, you know, being accountable to somebody is very different than being just being accountable to yourself.
0: That's a great advice. Uh, I've been seeking out those relationships, and I think that has propelled me forward in the last few months, particularly as I my work got sort of um, derailed a little bit. I have an eight-month-old. Ah, uh, That'll
1: do it for you.
0: And just figuring out how to get back on track. I knew I was mm-hmm. going to give myself some time to be focusing on my family, but then coming back into it. And there was someone that I started talking to on Skype in December right before my son was born. And I think without that weekly conversation, I probably wouldn't have stayed on track. And I I agree that's, that's accountability partners. Are you also part of any kind of mastermind?
1: Um, I have been involved with mastermind groups um, in the past. Um, And in fact, I was involved with one for a number of years that was called the seven sisters. There were seven of us in, in, in the group, all all female. Um, And we, we, met um, twice a year face to face. We were from all over the, the country. And um, and that lasted for a number of years and was very successful. In fact, my focus on change and the Change 101 name and logo and the, the light bulb as the metaphor for Change 101 uh, was a direct result of, um, of that mastermind group your need in a mastermind group ebbs and flows and the need of the people involved ebbs and flows. And so I think, and I don't know that anybody has done a formal study on this, but my gut tells me that you could do a formal study and you could find the life cycle of a mastermind group and that there's probably some predictable um Markings in in those groups. So I think that um, I think it's important for people to to investigate the idea of mastermind and and be open to being part of one and and recognizing that um, setting it up in a way that works for the people involved. And and it's really critical that you are involved with people who have matching values. Mm. Um. Who you know and pr- probably different areas of expertise and maybe different business models are helpful, but underlying values of how they approach the work is is really critical to to success. Um, one of the things that I found in both the mastermind and in the uh, relationship that Lenore and I have is that although the beginning of of the connection is business related, I, I would be very surprised if, um, if you stay together for any length of time that you don't find that part of what you get out of the relationship is the personal connection right. of talking about personal challenges in addition to, um, business challenges in the last year.
0: So I just want to switch gears a little bit. Mm-hmm a common struggle for anyone who's striving for success is the fear of being wrong or making mistakes or failing. So with that in mind, can you share a little about what you're not good at and how you've dealt with that?
1: No, um, oh, yet another good question. This is probably why you do podcasts and do them so well because you have good questions. Um, I, I am I am not good at details unless I'm forced. I, I, I am, I am the, my person. I do Myers-Briggs personality profiling. And although you can't use that as an excuse, you certainly can use it as insight. And, and one of the things that makes me tick is new ideas. I get really jazzed. And really excited about new ideas. And once once I've had the new idea, and once I've um, kind of figured out a way that I think the new idea could work or come to fruition, uh, and it gets to the point of just doing it, I am much less interested <laughs> in that. And, um, and so, so re- recognizing that, um, in spades, it is one of the reasons that I realized that I needed that accountability partner.
0: Yeah, I can see.
1: Yeah. yeah. Cause you know, cause she's, she's like, well, you know, you said you were going to, and, and did you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, that is, that is really, um, and and I, I, I remember for a number of years saying that my perfect job would be to take telephone calls when I was in my pajamas in bed, where people would call me and say, Here's here's the situation that I'm facing. What would you suggest that I do? Yeah. <laughs> and I and I thought, yeah, you know, I could I could come up with a couple ideas and then say and the bill is in the mail
0: right but but (laughs) the doing the doing particularly when you're you're the business so you have to either do it or delegate it in a responsible way right exactly right so, so that that holds on well so kind of going with that to be recognized as a success in your business takes a lot of time and dedication both in the way you're working, but also it impacts life outside of the office. With that in mind, what does self-care look like for you?
1: Um, I I surround myself with people and do business with people I really, really like. Um, which, and and this has been sort of a, a, a joke in... NSA terms. Um, I, I do a lot of work with my family members. Uh, my daughter, Miriam, is my very best editor for my writing. Um, she and I have written things together, um, and she edits everything that I um, I write. Um, I, I send out a weekly e-letter that I've been doing since 2001, So that's a lot of years of sending something out weekly, and she is in charge of that process. I I write what goes out, but she manages the process of sending it out. My son is my webmaster, um, and in fact right now he and I have a book proposal that we're just getting ready to uh, send to an agent. So anybody who is listening to this, cross your fingers and I'll get back to you on how that played out. Thanks, but we're real excited about about that. He edits my videos. Um, I have five grandchildren who live in in the area, and they stuff handout packets and help help pack orders when we get a flurry of orders for products. And so so we it's it's a family it's a family affair. And when I need outside vendors, um, I. The relationship is in the, the relationship is right at the top of decision criteria of you know what it's going to be like to to work together. So having that kind of people that I'm involved with is really important to me, and so that's one of the reasons or one of the ways that I keep things um, uh, on an even keel.
0: You, know, you, you just mentioned relationships and I, mm-hmm. I had a kind of question for you mm-hmm. because you've been so involved and invested in NSA and all the people you've met through your business. How do you stay in touch with these professional connections? How do you, how do you nurture those relationships if you're not working like you and Lenora now have a weekly check-in? So that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But for the other people that maybe you just see, you know, once a year at the conference or you worked with, on a board or you you were spoke to them or they were a great client like how do you stay in touch with these folks what's your magic to that
1: um i i don't know if there's magic i think i i'm a note writer so i write i actually i if you looked at my desk i actually have a fountain pen on my desk i write people notes i write postcards I do social media stuff. I also pick up the phone and call people. Um, and and part of the advantage when you've been involved for as many years as I have been involved with, um, with NSA, there are some people who, you know, I've had NSA-related relationships for 25 years. So... You know Stephen Covey's emotional bank account. Are you are you familiar with that mm-hmm. concept? You know, what when when you've had a twenty five year relationship, you you have some deposits in the emotional re- uh, bank account, so that when you do get together, it it picks up just like it it was yesterday. H- however, um, I- I'm. What concerns me a lot about social media kind of stuff I think you can sustain relationships through social media but I don't know that you can create the depth of relationships with electronically um, that you you can, when you have spent time, you know face to face time together. So when I could put together a list of ten people with within NSA who I would put in a category uh, that I have really strong, unbreakable relationships with. And if I were to turn the clock back, these are the people that we figured out a midpoint from where they lived and where I lived. And we would match our speaking schedules nice. so that we could get together and have dinner because we were both going to be in a city at the same time. So so the investment was made in face-to-face, really, you know, eye-to-eye, look each other deep in the eye and understand, get to know each other. Chris, and, I don't
0: know if... I don't know if you're uh, as familiar with the work that I do, but you just made the perfect commercial Ah, for what I speak about. I do a session that I've done now for years called The Art of the Schmooze. Mm -hmm. And it's about how in this Facebook world, we've forgotten how to do FaceTime. And I don't mean the app. I mean what you just described. And that the value of those, those moments in person cannot be replaced by any kind of Super highway technology, which I love the technology, I, I love the way that it allows us to communicate and stay in touch, but it's the in person that is so meaningful. And that's where the relationship really grows. And I love this idea that you purposely made an effort to have those dinners happen. And then that, that was yeah. an effort on both your parts, right? If you were to go back in time to your, let's say, when you were 25 years old, is there some advice that you would give yourself to encourage you to build a strong supportive network.
1: Um, I'm I'm doing a little mental sort at 25. Um, I would try to tell myself that the time is going to go so fast that putting things off and tr- trying to uh, convince yourself that you've got all the time in the world to do all the things that you want to do is um, is is not true. That you know, s- seize the day. Uh, I, maybe I'd sit myself down and and say, watch Dead Poets Society <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and and do a little bit of carpe diem uh, with with yourself. Um, I I don't tw- twenty five seems it, like you, you have and, and it's not that you don't have lots of time, but it's going to go faster than than you imagine. So so take the risk, take the chances. Um, enjoy the moment. Oh, God, I sound like this old person.
0: <laughs> but it's but important. I think- it's important things to hear. And I think for those of us that are earlier in our careers, the advice is still true. We have mm-hmm. to be in the moment. Yes, yes. And not put things off and, you know, make sure you're acting on your bucket list and not just writing it. So exactly,
1: exactly. And, and, and savor the moments because that's all life is, is this series of little moments. So So, when you're in the moment, be in the moment.
0: So I have a, I, my last question, this has been such an incredible conversation and I was just thinking, I, you know, for a lot of the people I interview, this is a theoretical question, but for you, we're actually going to see each other a year from now. So my mm-hmm. question is, if we were to meet a year from now, which we will, at the conference, and you were telling me what a great year it has been, what accomplishments would we be celebrating?
1: um we We would be celebrating the launch of uh, the successful launch of Milo the dog who thinks he's a cop, the series that my son and I have written and and not only the books, but the movement behind it um, because I think I, I, I believe that Paul and I have come up with a an idea for young children, Who are venturing out into what is an increasingly scary world with parents who want to do the best for their children and communities that want to do the best for their children and don't exactly know how to prepare those very young children in a positive, not fear based way. And I think we've come up with uh an idea and a process for doing that so I, I i want a year from now for us to be saying and look what's happening yeah with milo so think about listen for milo
0: i will look forward to having that conversation with you and hearing all about it i want to thank you once again for spending this hour with me for sharing all these thoughts and and I'm, I'm looking forward to staying in touch over the next year as I continue to grow in my business as well. Thank you so much, Chris.
1: Robbie, this has been a joy and I can't thank you enough for inviting me to Smooth's for a while this afternoon.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Chris Clark Epstein. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. One of the things that really stood out for me is how a minor event when Chris was 12 years old was absolutely transformational for her. For that adult who was recognizing Chris's leadership potential, it was likely a trivial moment, but it clearly had a profound impact on Chris and led to her lifelong quest to understand what leadership is and what her role is as a leader. We have the ability to give someone else that kind of transformational moment, especially if we have the opportunity to work with teenagers or young adults. We can also create this for our peers by recognizing in them the potential for leadership that they had not yet seen. Take action this week and try to be more mindful about intentionally creating these tiny transformational moments. I also want to underscore what Chris said about the power of having an accountability partner or being part of a mastermind group. When I left my career at the end of 2014 to pursue my business full-time, I didn't have an accountability partner, and there were weeks when I felt like I wasn't making the progress I desired as I grew my business. A year later, I connected with an accountability partner that I chat with each week, and I felt much more control of my business goals. I loved what Chris said about how much she can get done Thursday night in anticipation of her Friday morning call with her accountability partner. That is definitely true. And that external accountability is just what many of us need to stay on course and meet our goals. Who in your life would be a good fit for your accountability partner? While their business model and product can be very different, as Chris said, you'll want to be sure you have shared values. Chris clearly knows the value and importance of face-to-face time. I really appreciate the lens that she and her colleagues go through to coordinate speaking schedules so they can meet for dinner at a location that is a midpoint between each of their homes. While social media does allow us to keep tabs on each other, it is not as helpful at deepening relationships. For that, we still need to spend time in person. That's also the best way to establish a strong relationship. If you're nervous about networking, I suggest you check out my shorter solo show episodes for tips and techniques to help you make the most of in-person gatherings. Of course, there's meeting people and then there's keeping in touch. That's often harder in practice than you'd think. To help me manage my most important relationships and the ones I hope will become significant, I use Contactually, a robust CRM perfect for managing my professional network. As an affiliate for Contactually, they are offering my listeners a free 14-day trial, no credit card required. Let me know if you sign up for the free trial, and I'll help you get set up for success. Visit contactually.com slash invite slash schmooze for more details. That's contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y dot com slash invite slash schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. And for your convenience, I'm going to add the link to the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 23. Well, we've done it again. We've reached the end of another episode. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze. I want to sincerely thank all of you who have already subscribed and left a rating and review on iTunes. By subscribing and leaving a rating and review on iTunes, you're helping this podcast discovered by more listeners. Will you subscribe and leave an honest rating and review? Include your Twitter handle in your review so I can give you a shout out. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. That's Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be sharing how I became a solopreneur, but I'm not out on my own. Until then, have an amazing week.